Hello everyone, it's Friday the 9th of April and yes, we've made it to the big 5-0. Welcome to episode 50 of the Kite Podcast with me, Ben Eagle. And me, Will Evans. Now, surprisingly, Becky actually asked us all back after last week's April Fool and we're back to normal. Or so she thinks. No, don't worry, Becky. We really are back to normal. Eric has graced us with his presence again, straight from Hollywood, in his new role as a famous actor and A-list celeb. Uh, If you don't have the foggiest clue what we're talking about, listeners, uh, have a listen to last week's episode. Let's pick up where we left off. If we remember how things were last April, it's pretty incredible to think how the world has changed. Back then, we were just getting used to COVID and had entered lockdown one. The public were panicked buying toilet rolls by the trolley load and the food service sector had completely shut down without any time to adapt to home deliveries. The roads were quiet and communication turned towards video conferencing and podcasts, including, of course, this podcast. There was deep concern back then about spring volumes and how things would roll out in the short to medium term. Fast forward to this year and spring milk volumes are looking strong, even at point of capacity. In Europe, many countries are facing the prospect of yet another lockdown. And so today we thought we'd take a look over the channel in the context of COVID and spring milk. At home, of course, we're all coming out of what will hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, be the final lockdown. So we're also asking what might the new world look like? To discuss all this and more, uh, it's going to be quite an episode. We are really pleased to be joined by Eric Elgismar, who is founder and director of Strategic Analysis Services BV, a Dutch-based globally active consulting firm in strategy, market and competitive intelligence and training. Prior to establishing SAS BV, Eric worked for 20 years for Friesland Campina NV, one of the world's largest dairy companies. We're also joined in the UK by John Allen, Kite's managing partner, and despite his going into hiding after last week's tricks, as always, we're joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Hawkland. Good morning, everyone. And Chris, over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Ah, guten Morgen, Damen und Herren podcast listeners. Ich bin in Deutschland heute Morgen. And what a wonderbar but chilly Morgen it is too. Because Deutschland is where this action is on the milcher. Well, you didn't know I was fluent in Jamonglay, did you? And while I'm over here, I've tried to find some funny German jokes for you. But basically, there is only one, which is, of course, one more than there is in Belgium. Would you like to hear it? Yes. yes. Yeah, go for it. Uh, it, it's it's one about the collective noun for a group of animals, but not I'm heard of cows. And it's this. What do you call a pack of German wolves? What do you call a pack of German wolves, Chris? Wolfgang. One of my funniest German jokes. Germany may only have one funny joke, but it's a good one. Anyway, I'm here <laughs> Germany acts as a bit of a bellwether for EU volumes, being the biggest of the EU nations. So what happens here affects sentiment. The more milk Germany produces, the more relaxed buyers will be. Currently, it's week 14, and Germany normally peaks in week 16 to 17. So it's pretty close now. We normally peak 18 to 19 in early May. 
German volumes have been uh, below the last two years since January, but they're rising now. They've caught up and they were on schedule to overtake last year's volume in peak week. But will they now? I'm not sure if you'd asked me before Easter, I'd have said yes, because temperatures across Europe were warming up nicely and things were much warmer than normal. And then came chilly old Easter and the forecast to mid-April is much colder than normal. Uh, so far, the market hasn't reacted to, um, to the German volumes or to anything, in fact, least of all the relaxation of lockdown over here. It's still sleepy after Easter. There have been some minor price adjustments, but nothing major. But is still supposedly holding around 4,000 euros, which looks a little high, I'd say. In the UK, but is 3,350 with cream put as low as £1.38 a kilo to as high as 148. Most say it's in the mid-140s range and thus below that all-important 150 threshold. That's not good news for liquid suppliers, especially given that there is some positive news on cheddar, but more of that in a minute. Thus, while there isn't much trading going on, there's still an air of positivity around. Prices could have been so much worse during these last two weeks. The futures are down across the board in New Zealand, but again, nothing major, and up across the board in the EU, but again, nothing major. All butter contracts are above four €100. All skim milk price contracts are above two and a half, and collectively they convert to a milk price topping 31p after transport, but before a processor margin. Happy days in theory at least, but it's not in your milk checks yet and may very well not be ever. So now for that positive news on cheese. After holding firm at 2950 for nearly a year, the mile price has finally crossed £3,000. It's been threatening to do so for weeks on the back of good demand and a strong curd price. And given there doesn't seem to be a rush to refill food service pipelines just yet, there might be further upward pressure when it does. Mots is holding firm too at 2750. Spot milk is all over the place, with some saying it's below 20p, but most saying it's over and as high as 23p. Either way, it's not brilliant, but not terrible. And it hasn't been helped by some umpalumpas in the factories being misbehaving with spot milk displaced left, right and centre. So that's it from me from Deutschland. But before I go, I have a short and very sad news announcement from the Netherlands equivalent of the BBC. who regretfully and somberly have announced the death of the innovative Dutch manufacturer of inflatable footwear after a long illness. Still, it was, they said, only a matter of time before he popped his clogs. Oh, God. There, <laughs> and there I finish on the funniest Dutch joke I could find. <laughs> Perhaps Eric has a better one. I'll be the same. No, stay with the day job, Chris. Yeah. say found or made up. I'm not sure which is worse. Oh, I feel them off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well... 
(laughs) Thank you, Chris. Um, John, let's start with you today. Um, Today's partly about taking stock of the past year. Um, Let's let's look, but take our listeners way back to last spring. Um, I mean, what did we learn from last spring? And what's the current context in the UK in terms of dairy this spring? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Well, I I hope Chris is going to join in the discussion with myself and Eric, because hopefully the the listeners will get some better uh, podcast material than what they've just listened to with his jokes. He's he's allowed to as long as there aren't any German or Dutch jokes. (laughs) I know, I know, because actually he's got a lot to contribute. So hopefully we can have a good discussion. Just to kick it off, and then Eric obviously can explain how he sees the world in the short run um, over in Europe. But, I mean, if we go back to last year, then... Basically, we were I'm trying to recollect the exact dates, but it, what happened after Easter is that there was a sudden collapse in the UK dairy market because all the consumers had suddenly filled their fridges prior to Easter. There was massive demand, which the supply chains struggled to cope with. Then all of a sudden, you got a disruption for a week, which really messed everything up. And then there was a lockdown, and that caused a major dislocation in the market, and that's why you got all the problems that emerged last year in the middle market uh, and then knocked on into the Muller scheme for the Muller reduction scheme. And to be fair, the Muller reduction scheme probably saved the bacon of the UK dairy industry because although it was only 3% for them, which equated to probably just less than 1% across the UK, it just took the edge off the market. So it was enough just to keep the market stable and actually stop that last tanker on the road syndrome that you get every spring flush. So so that was great, great from that point of view. That isn't going to happen this year. You can guarantee that. Um, but what we have got this year is it, we've got a great big thank you to Mr. North Wind um, and Jack Frost, because actually without those two characters, then we'd probably be romping away now, heading towards that peak that Chris has talked about and those spot prices would be well sub 20, um, you know, and we've had one or two reports this week of a breakdown and uh, skim having to go into an AD plant already. So that would happen again, uh, certainly if we did, if, um, you know, we, 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 you know, if we didn't have the weather that we've currently got. So the weather is playing a big, big part in taking the edge off the spring flush this year, which is really helping the markets. Yeah. I, mean, I think the, the, one of the interesting factors about the UK market is, but at GB actually isn't that uh, bad. Some of the numbers are uh, pretty high com- compared to last year because of the likes of the Miller m- Milk Reduction Scheme. And we're tracking 2019. What is happening in Northern Ireland is something else. Their, their volumes are racing away 4 to 5%, I think, over there. Chris, yeah. can we skip ahead to um, the other side of uh, processing chain and, and, and look at processing capacity? What's that looking like at the moment in in the context of what's looking like strong spring milk volumes? Well, it's it's tight, but thanks to U-Tree putting additional evaporators on and dryers over the last few years, we will be okay with luck and a following wind, and basically that means no more breakdowns. Mm. So we should have the capacity there for this year the problem is that every year we seem to produce more and more milk at this time of year and if we don't continue to put that additional capacity on what's going to happen then 
Turning um, back to the more immediate future for a minute, um, Europe is potentially going into another lockdown, as we know, which could coincide, like last year with a flush of milk in the spring, or have we already reached peak milk in Europe? Um, How might this impact on the market, Eric? What I understand from the Fed side, so the the butter side of things, is that on the butter side, uh, there's a lot of, say, watching and waiting at the moment within the EU. Everybody notices that the world market price for butter is substantially higher than the European Union, say, internal quotations. So there's always a way out to the world market, but also everybody knows that that world market is not very deep. So if everybody would would start, say, jumping on exports, that world market price would come down quickly. So that's the one side. You know there is is this way out. And on the other hand, uh, everybody is is indeed expecting that peak, which should put a bit of of pressure. And we have a sort of labile equilibrium currently happening. When a few weeks from now, everybody discovers that that peak that used to be there is no longer so much there, then those buyers will suddenly discover that they are a bit low in stock. And then everybody wants to go through the door again at the same time. And then we may see a further increase. So although we're now at a sort of plateau with everybody watching everybody, we may just as well in May after what is perceived to be the peak, and there won't be much of a peak, then suddenly you may see uh, a slight further increase as long as the world market price remains at least as high as that in the EU, if not as it is today, substantially higher. Yeah, and and, and I think just coming in on that and Christian's comment that the UK's milk price is already lagging (laughs) EU prices. So we all said that we wouldn't be able to catch up through the spring flush in the UK. But I suspect, Chris, the pressures will begin to build, won't they, in the second half of the season for the UK to start catching up with those uh, EU prices. Is that fair, Chris? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it probably is fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the, everybody says the outlook is is upward and positive, and you can see that in some of the forward prices that um, that the futures are displaying you know, 4,100 at the moment, 4,200 euros later in the season. Same with skim milk powder, up slightly, uh, but nevertheless up later in the season. So they are factoring in an upward trend on the back of um, more positive factors on, on several fronts. But it will be linked. It, it, it will be linked in the degree of uh, upturn will be linked to how successful the vaccination is in Europe. And don't don't underestimate the International Monetary Fund has just released its uh, most recent update for the world economic outlook. And you discover that they, on a global scale, expect the world economy in 2021 to increase with 6% compared to 2020. In some countries, there is a direct relation between economic growth and dairy consumption still. And if you see oil prices recovering, now last year, the connection between dairy prices and oil prices was completely gone because of the um, atypical, say, crisis that COVID last year, uh, say, was, and to some extent still is. But when that connection is reestablished, 
and the oil funds go to, say, emerging markets, that will indeed keep world markets relatively healthy. And as long as world markets keep pulling, there is a sink for any, say, excess production in the European Union that's happily taking in that milk. And the moment that, say, destination for European milk is there, I wouldn't know why, and the growth remains, I wouldn't know why those world markets would keep on absorbing that milk at current prices. So, Eric, in the context of what we've been talking about so far and COVID having transformed the way we live, work and indeed eat and cook, what does long-term strategy for increasing consumption look like at the moment for you, um, for both Europe and for the UK? Well, for, for the UK, I'd rather leave that to Chris. My only remark would be um, that I still believe the UK cheese market is more healthy than, than and, and has long-term potential, if only when, say, cheese consumption in the UK would even closely start to resemble that on the continent. And then there's a huge potential for domestic UK cheese consumption. So the, I, I still believe the UK cheese market is healthy, where the UK liquid market, everybody, of course, knows, unfortunately, keeps on declining slightly. So that's, that's the UK picture. On the continent, picture is not very different. Uh, cheese markets, of course, have, have reached a much higher per capita level and I believe have less upward potential. When food service reopens, we will probably see cheese markets being uh, more healthy in um, the EU than they are today because the food service channel is an important destination for cheese. Yeah, isn't it the case, Eric, that, and this is, I think, the point, Will, that it isn't going to be about domestic consumption in the future, is it, in the EU? It's about having the capacity to produce, you know, and have the license to produce, as Eric said, but also the markets and the market growth, in my view, and Chris's comment, is going to be from the Far East and China. I mean, there's plenty of people in the world who think dairy products are great and they want to consume more. So I don't. I see the EU as being more of an exporter, a growing exporter. And certainly the situation with uh, UK cheddar is a classic illustration. You know, US consumers are obviously getting a taste for a, ta- for a cheese profile like cheddar. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of positives in what we're talking about today, I, I would have said. I don't, don't know how you see that, Chris. Well, I think I would totally agree with the export opportunities, but not only that, during lockdown, there's been a change in consumer patterns as well. You know, people have learned to bake again. You know, that's been a massive surge on the likes of branded butter sales. Um, And people have been making lunch at home. There's a lot of cheese goes in sandwiches, for instance. Retail cheese sales we know have surged. There's going to be a lot of questions on how the changing consumer uh, attitudes and, and consumption patterns, um, how they will change post lockdown. What will happen when people go back to work? You know, what's going to happen to the sandwich chains? What's going to happen to the coffee chains? All of these things were thrown up in the air a year ago with lockdown. Mm. And fortunately for us as an industry, we've done pretty well out of it. Yeah aside from a few companies really exposed to food service. But, you know, the pizza chains are working well and there's more to go with restaurants, there's home baking. I can't really see that going away. 
Uh, it's supported and fueled by the Great British Bake Off, which I'm sure you follow avidly, John, and other programmes. <laughs> so, you know, not only are there massive opportunities with exports, but domestically too, with people using a lot more dairy than they used to. Yeah. And just before we go, uh, Eric, do you, do you have any thoughts on how when, when food service comes back online, um, what impact do you think that will have in addition to the changes that we've seen over the last 12 months? The, um, the signals that Chris just gave that he said, yeah, what happens to the sandwich change? What happens to the coffee change? It basically partly de- is determined by what happens to work. And I guess we have all gone through a pressure cooker of change in society, which may redefine office work from structurally five days a week in a particular office after, especially in in your London situation, after two hours, single way of commuting and being as tired as a dog every day when you come home straight into bed the next morning too early out again. And in the weekend, you hope to recover for another week of um, of hard work. I doubt whether that will continue. I think we will move to a society where three days a week in the office will probably be, for, for those that can work from home, will probably be the new, uh, the new normal and the new standard. And two days at home will be uh, partly a replacement. So I don't think we should look at the old markets as they were in 2019, because the world around has changed. And when we redefine that world as, say, 40% at home, 30%, uh, 60% in the office, then you can already assess that the relevance of these, say, food service chains may not be as, uh, or the, the food service channel for dairy may not be as big as it used to be in 2019. Same for tourism. Do we really get that old tourism back? Because that also is a typical chain for for impulse buying. Now, those two questions, I don't think, have crystallized out. Mm -hmm. And I think we need probably to be, uh, say, uh, in episode 90 or something or 100 of the Kite podcast to, to look what does the real new normal look like? Because we're still discovering. And that will then tell you what will the, the real the new balance between retail, online retail, and food service channels be for the, for the dairy industry? Mm. Really? Yeah. I think you've just invited yourself back, haven't you, for episode <laughs> <nine>, Eric? <laughs> There's so much there you can say, isn't there? Because it's about the world is not the same this time, is it? And it's agility of change, isn't it? In the, the agile people. This is going to be a really classic Darwinian base. It's about businesses that can adapt very, very quickly to take advantage of change. There's so much change going to take place. Yeah, and this this also ties in with what we said a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember whether it was on the podcast or elsewhere, John, but the gap between the best and the rest is widening yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, great message. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that that if we haven't discussed that on a podcast, it probably needs to be one on its own. Right. Okay. Well, we'll get you back for that then, Eric. Well, I, I still I think I owe Chris a joke. Um, <laughs> you want you want to joke the Belgians apparently tell about the Dutch. Yes. Come yes, on, who, who invented copper, copper wire? Don't oh know. no. Two Dutch to try to pull apart the sand. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh brilliant very good oh, great. okay well that's all we have time for we will look forward to episode 100 when doubtless we will have eric back on the show but a big thank you to our guests today eric elgesma john allen and chris walkland yes a huge amount on today's show thank you very much for listening we'll be back with you next friday but for now it's goodbye from all of us here